Hi, I'm Peggy, the amputee mommy. And I'm Dave, the bionic blogger. And this blogger. is Amped, a podcast for people with limb loss. Cool music, Dave. Yeah, thanks, Max. My son, we, we've always, we, we've recorded, you know, 65 of these now, and many of them, most of them with the intro and outro music. But one of the things we know, um, and we've known for a while, is that the levels were pretty high, and we had no way, actually, the we had to actually sort of fade out on the, when we're doing the intro, had to fade out sort of manually to do that. And it was always kind of quick and awkward. And Max was kind enough to re-record it, change the levels, do a nice fade out so that when we start, it sounds halfway professional. Absolutely. Way to go, Max. Thank you. And the name of his band yeah. is? Ooh, the name of his new band is The Deep End. Ooh, I like that. I like it's very that. sinister yes. sounding and deep. All right. I've heard... I've heard the tapes. They're of good. Of course they are. Of course they are. And you're not biased. I mean, just listen to our music. That, <laughs> when we we, can, we should have a, a release party for Max when he when the when the album comes out, we can we can play songs in the middle of our podcast. Randomly. We could totally do that. We could do that online too. Ooh, my mind's twirling. All right, I'll get back to you on that. Cool. All right. So in this week's podcast, Dave, we are recapping January and our poll results, um, which is exciting. And then we're going to release our poll for February. So I'm very yes. glad January is over. January and September are the two months that I hate the most. Now, why is that? Well, September, because it's back to school and I have to deal with my husband complaining about going back to work and my kid complaining about going back to work. And it's just school supplies and schedules and lunch packing and just chaos. And I just find it very depressing. And January, I find depressing because it's after Christmas and you have this big buildup, like starting in September to Christmas, right? And then, you know, you have Halloween and Thanksgiving and then you have Christmas and New Year's and then you've got nothing. And it's just like, wah, wah, all right, this is my life. And it kind of stinks. So I don't like January. Yeah. And, and the, commercials aren't See, much, the commercials in January aren't as much fun. Like in Christmas, at Christmas time, it's, you know, bake cookies with your family, you know, show your love by baking. And in January, they turn to, you know, you shouldn't have eaten that cookie. You're fat. Go on Jenny Craig. Yeah, I think I uh, see. I've never loved February. February is a pretty rugged month. Oh, I if you're, yeah, I don't love February ahead. either, but at least it's only 28 days. Yeah, but February is just kind of this – it's this month that blocks you from really getting towards spring and it, the weather in the northeast is typically miserable. Yeah. If I lived in Arizona, I probably wouldn't care about February a lot. But man, oh man, it's a tough month. You've, you've sort of been through a few a few rugged months already and then you get to February and you're like, I, I'm, I'm done. Like, are we close? And then February kicks you in the teeth and says no. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not. Being, I'm not a fan of February. I hate January more. But February, at least it's only 28 days, except for leap year. Don't even get me started on leap year. I just, I feel ripped off every time we have to have a leap year. I hate that. Um, I find it personally insulting, but that's a completely different podcast. But, Duly noted. You know, but we have Valentine's Day in February. We do. Yes. We do. Yes. And my husband has set the bar wife. so low for himself for Valentine's Day that he can't help but vault over it now every year. <laughs> 
Well, that's good. Yes. I actually bought something for my wife today. Oh, wow. For Valentine's Day. Does she know what it is? No. she. It's, and since she rarely listens to the podcast, because she tells me, she's like, I don't need to listen to it. I live it every <laughs> that's day. That's funny. Um, God told me uh, that know. today. <laughs> yeah. Our, our spouses couldn't care less. It's like, oh, you're going to go record? Good. Get out of my way. Yeah. But um, she... Um, you know, she won't. She doesn't listen. I could. I could literally say what I got here, and she would not find out. Mm-hmm. We should try that sometime, but don't try it now because this no, would be the one episode where somebody would tell her. But yeah. back to our topic, we we kind of rambled a little bit under my hatred of January, but we did have a, a really cool, interesting poll question in January, and it dealt with support groups. We wanted to know what role do amputee support groups play in your life. And we had three options. I go regularly, meaning I attend most meetings. I go sporadically. I attend some meetings and I rarely or I never go. Yep. Those were the options. And um, we'll walk through the results as we do every time we share these results with people. Um, And the number three result was I go to amputee support group meetings regularly. So the least popular result was people who go to support group meetings on a regular basis. And my theory, Peggy, is that the reason for that is that people who go to support group meetings on a regular basis sort of fall into two opposite ends of the spectrum. And I think one end of the spectrum is obviously people who have what I would describe as sort of an acute need to be there uh, because they're a new amputee or they're going through a real difficult time. And I think that's, you know, that is as a percentage of the overall amputee population, that's probably a relatively small percentage of total number of amputees in the United States. And then on the other hand, you've got the people who are there uh, providing support to others. And that's the real reason they go. It's not for themselves. Exactly. It's for the other people. And so I just think you're sort of looking at, you know, sort of two ends of a barbell and neither of them are huge groups in and of themselves. And that's why this group is smaller. That's my I, guess. I also think that there aren't as many support groups anymore. Um, you know, we were talking right before we recorded this uh, that it would have been interesting in hindsight to, to have added another option about cyber support um, because I'm, I'm willing to bet that that those who do offer and get support, a lot more of them actually now do it over the internet than they do in person. Yeah, or just, you know, simply by visiting forums, visiting websites exactly. uh, like ours and getting getting the information that way. Um, now, none of this should be read um, or heard by our listeners as suggesting that uh, we don't think that support groups are important or that people shouldn't be going. Uh, I think quite the opposite. They're a fantastic resource. Um, they... Uh, they're critical for many people. Uh, I, while I never attended meetings regularly myself, um, when I when I have attended them, I've actually found them to be quite interesting. And um, I know from talking to some of our friends, um, Peggy, who who listen to this podcast and who runs support groups in different parts of the country, um, there are support groups that do really sophisticated, program based, topic topically relevant. Uh, meetings on a regular basis that provide a lot of information. Oh, to uh, there are people who have created whole communities and networks, and it's it's very very amazing. Um, we don't, I don't have that where I live. If I wanted to go to a support group that was active, I would have to drive into DC, which you know, in the evenings during the week is a two hour commute, and I just I can't do it. 
Yeah. And, and that's actually, we, we circle back to that a little bit later when we're talking about one of the other answers, but obviously the uh, accessibility of, of a meeting is going to influence this. Um, and I think that it's also important when thinking about the, this answer, you know, the majority of people not going to meetings on a regular basis. I think just a question to keep in the back of your mind is, you know, what is the motivation to go? And we've touched on it already in this answer, but I think we'll circle back to it a little more completely in a few minutes. Absolutely. Um, so the number two answer was I go to support group meetings sporadically, meaning that, that you go occasionally. It's not something that, that you, you know, die hard, make sure that you never miss, that you've been to a few here and there uh, throughout the years. A uh, possible explanation is that, you know, Maybe you have trouble getting to them like me, where it's just I, I can't get into D.C. as regularly as, as I would like to. Another option, Dave, is kind of as you, as you get more time adjusting the limb loss, you, you need those support groups less. Um, or they, the support group in your area just doesn't have the topics that, that either they've already covered and you already know that information or they're not as relevant to what you need. Yeah. And I I think you've hit, I think you've hit all of the key explanations for why this would be the case. And one of the, one of the challenges I think of any support group or any organization that serves the limb loss, limb difference community. And it's something that you and I have spent a lot of time talking about as we thought about the services that we're trying to put together and and bring to the community is what is the value proposition that you're offering the community beyond the first year when someone becomes a new amputee? Because I think the, the typical way people enter this world and become engaged is it happens to them. And they, they sort of plunge in, right? It's like you, you're thrown into the deep end of the pool and you have to learn how to swim really fast. And so you, you, it's like drinking through a fire hose. You take in as much information as you can from every resource you can as quickly as possible. And then once you sort of get past that first 12, 18 months, you know most of what you need to know in, in order to function in an appropriate way and to start reintegrating uh, into, your, into your previous life to the extent that you choose to do that. And so then the question is, what are these organizations offering after that? What is a support group offering beyond that initial support? What is AMPT offering beyond that? What are other organizations offering beyond that? And that is a challenge. Um, we used to have these questions in a or, uh, you know, national organization that I was a board member of, and we would say, what is, what is it that we're offering people after the first 12 months? And I, I, think, it's, I think that's a hard question to answer sometimes. Yep. Absolutely. And that's that's really where some of the support groups really do rise to the top, the ones who who are able to get people coming on a regular basis and it becomes so ingrained in their in their schedule because they get so much out of it because there's such a diverse offering and so many things that they're doing on so many different levels that they're appealing not only to the the individuals new to limb loss, but those who are experienced. And, and it's not just an exercise in offering support then. It really becomes the community for trying new activities or their social group, 
you know, going to yoga or going to a shooting range or there's uh, Mona Patel who runs a huge support group in San Antonio. She launched a, a fitness challenge with her support group members where they're all working together to, to become healthier in 2018. So it, it's transcending the common theme that brought everybody there, which is the loss of a limb and taking it into other areas. And I think that that is really where some support groups really do rise to the top. Yep. I, I think the more sort of uh, programmed the groups are, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but I mean the more that they're sort of a drumbeat to the to the weekly or monthly meeting, meaning, you know, we, we have defined things that we do over the course of this hour or 90 minutes, however long it is. And some of it is group discussion and supporting new amputees, but some of it's also, you know, it might be educational, it might be um it might be physical activity. There might be a guest speaker. The more programmatic they are, the more topics they're covering, I think the more vital they become to a broader group of people. Absolutely. Absolutely. So do we have a drum roll for number one? Oh, geez. I got to find our – yeah, where's our – we have to get Max to make us a drum roll. We could do that. But it, it wouldn't be as much fun as this. <laughs> I mean, how can you beat that? That's right. Um, our number one result was people saying, I go to amputee support group meetings rarely or never. Um, don't be disheartened, people who are listening to this who are big support group fans and saying, oh, no, this means that people don't like support groups or or the data is bad or, you know, the implications. We don't want to we don't want to deal with this. But we got a few possible explanations here. Um, and we've touched on some of these points already a little bit, Peggy. You know, the longer you live with limb loss, limb difference, it's arguably uh, the, the amount of support you need decreases over time as you adjust to it. So that's one possible explanation. Uh, more specifically, you know, the issues that drive us to support groups initially just become less acute. They just degrade over time for some people. And so the things that you that were compelling you to go initially, the, the, they, they decrease. Um, also, Frankly, just as a practical matter, as you adjust to limb loss, limb difference, and as you reintegrate into uh, your previous activities or into new activities, your schedule becomes less flexible. When you're first an amputee, I know when I when I first became an amputee, my schedule consisted of nothing all of a sudden. I'd been working professionally for a few years already, and all of a sudden, I was sitting on my living room floor for you know five hours a day listening to sports radio all afternoon when I wasn't working out or, or learning how to use the prosthesis. And it, there's this huge gap. And then once I went back to work, right, like my schedule became much tighter. So, right. you know, just you know, as you, as you become more active, as you start filling your days up with the things that you used to do beforehand, you don't have as much time to go to support group meetings. And finally, we touched on this earlier also, Peggy, you know, your, your G your geography is clearly going to influence this. If I live in North Dakota, my access to a local support group meeting is going to be much less than if I live in New York City or in Los Angeles. That's just a practical um, reality, and there's nothing you can really do about that. And so um, those are all factors that are going to influence this result. Now, do you want to talk, Peggy, about um, the question that we flagged uh, a few minutes ago when we were when we were talking about answer number three, um, which is sort of the motivation for going? The motivation, uh, obviously, it's either there's the core group of people who are going because they they 
are in need of support. And then you have the group who is, is really going because they have a handle on it. They've adjusted and they really feel strongly about giving back. And they, they feel, you know, and it's wonderful, you know, thank goodness that those people are there because they, they really feel very strongly and are very good at mentoring other people on their journey. So that is really what compels them to keep going. Um, if you're going, if your reason for going to a support group is because you need the support and you don't have that drive to become a mentor yourself, then as you have obtained their support and as you start feeling more comfortable and and advance on your own recovery, then naturally the need to attend the support group is going to dwindle over time. If your motivation is to become a mentor and it becomes a purpose to give back, then that is going to help you keep motivated to keep going, not so much because of because of what you're getting out of it is no longer direct support, but you're getting a different type of healing through helping somebody else, which is just as valid. Um, but it's, it's important to kind of know some every once in a while do a self-evaluation on, you know, I, I love going to my support group. What's my real motivation for going? Um, and it's just interesting to, to be able to do that, to know if, wow, I really, you know, I constantly, I am still in that stage where I really need a lot of support. I really need a lot of motivation from others to keep moving or have you moved into a different phase where where you really enjoy giving back and helping the community? Yeah, and there's no right or wrong answer here. I mean, it's not a bad thing if you're and it's going to fluctuate over time, right? Yeah. So if if you were a new amputee and you went for support and then you became very confident in your abilities and you stayed because you really found that you have a new desire and and a mission to help others, and then something happens and you have to have a revision, a revision surgery, then you can go back and still kind of assume the other support accepting role. So support groups are very fluid in that. And they really, if you find a group that, that fits with you and fits through everything that you need to do as a person, then that is that you have found an organization that can grow with you over your lifetime. Yep. And the only thing that I would, you know, I, I, we don't want to be, we're, we're not trying to be judgmental by suggesting that people who go there for their own support and who then don't transition into wanting to help others are, are, are worse people are, are less valid in any way. I mean, you, you go to these groups for different reasons and your and everyone's life is different and unique and you've got to live it the way that uh, works for you and there's no judgment attached to that but for people but for people who think that they they don't go to these meetings because they say I don't really have anything unique to offer there are other people there who do it and they do it better than me I would just tell you personally that's that is in my view an incorrect viewpoint um, I think everyone, has something unique to offer. You may not talk as much as other people. You may not be comfortable doing it. But I will tell you, um, when I've had the opportunity to sit down with people who are, quite frankly, very quiet, very reticent about talking about limb loss, but as you as you spoke to them and drew them out a little bit, they often had some really, some of the most insightful and thoughtful views about it of any of the people that I've spoken to. So if you're sitting there saying, I can't help, I'm really not good at this, um, I have nothing useful to say, I would just 
step back for a moment and really ask yourself whether um, that's a fair assumption to make because you don't know what it is that you're going to say that could help somebody else. Absolutely. And you never know. And, and I'm really glad that you brought that out because you never know what impact is going to be what that person needs at that time. Yep. So do you want to just give a quick review on the percentages of each of these answers so people have a sense of what the final numbers look like? I will. Uh, so 20% of our poll respondents go regularly to their support group and 34% go sporadically. And then 46% say that they rarely or that they never go. So still, Dave, more than half of our respondents either go regularly or go sporadically to a support group. Yep. And that's, you know, I I don't think these numbers are particularly surprising. And I don't think that our listeners probably skew much differently than the rest of the population at large. So I, I feel like these are probably pretty reflective of what we would get if we uh, if we went around and could, you know, target, you know, on a state by state basis, do you go to a support group? I think the blended average would probably end up looking somewhat like this. I think so too. It, it, again, in retrospect, it would have been interesting to, to add the cyber mix, but we can do that another time. Yes, we can. But we do have an exciting poll for February, which is only 28 days long. So don't delay in answering our poll. Do not procrastinate because you will have fewer days to be able to put it off. And our poll question is, over the last 12 months, have you contacted your federal lawmakers about any issues affecting the limb loss or limb difference community? And it is a simple yes or no question. Have you become involved? Have you become an activist in any capacity? Have you made phone calls? Have you sent emails? Have you sent letters? Have you gone to demonstrations and and signed petitions and sent them? Yep. And we'll explain exactly why we asked this question um, in when we reveal the results for this poll. Because you might be saying, well, geez, amped. You guys are the ones telling us to go out and do all these calls to action. So why are you asking us a question when you're explicitly, this is a big part of what you've done over the last 12 months. But there is a reason behind it that uh, we'll reveal then, but I don't want to skew the results in any way by sharing that now. Then just stay tuned. Yeah. Ooh, it's a cliffhanger. I like that. Oh, it's it's it's, yeah. a, it's a weekend of cliffhangers, Peggy. We're 24 it hours away is. from the Super Bowl. And 48 hours away from Dave humiliating himself on social media. We'll see about that. Um, I still haven't figured out what I'm going to have you do yet. But it will definitely involve the Wiggles. And I'm thinking Rocky Balboa somehow. But I haven't – it's still sketching in my head. See, as I told Peggy earlier when she was sending me pictures of Eagles players randomly as we were having a perfectly civil discussion – about about ancillary <laughs> topics. I just keep talking trash. I want the karmic load so heavily weighed against the Eagles by the time this game starts that the, the forces of good will have uh, no pathway but to triumph here. So the red, white, and blue. And they will. Yeah, no, no. no. And they yeah, will. Yeah, it depends on, depends on which side of the fence you're on, Peggy. Just keep doing it. Yes. Send me, send me all. Keep doing it. Just. The grass is always greener in Eagles country. <laughs> oh, that's so clever. That's so clever. Isn't that good? Well, well I, I almost sound like a diehard football fan, don't yeah, I? Yeah, you do. Almost. I for know. Someone who, for I someone know. who, who pro- – do you know what the Eagles record was in the regular season this year? 
I'll take pretty darn good. <laughs> See, for someone who has zero interest in this topic, you have a you have just slid into the trash talking city versus city role so seamlessly that I really I'm wondering where where this comes from and why it doesn't manifest You're kind in other of ways. Though, aren't you? I am. I am. It's, it's quite a feat. I can. I can throw myself into into any kind of cheering situation. That is one of my talents. Truth be told, though, if the Eagles weren't playing, I would definitely be eating nachos and watching the Puppy Bowl. So, well, everyone, stay tuned because it's gonna be it's gonna be a very exciting early week. Um, now, Peggy, I may uh, Monday. I'm actually gonna be pretty tied up with work, so we may have to push the actual the results of this wager may end up pushing into Tuesday, Wednesday. Just so. that That's all right. Cause it's going to take me a while to get the graphic ready. The graphic. Oh, that's, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, we'll, we'll, we'll leave everyone hanging on that and uh, we'll talk again next week. Peggy. Go Eagles. Bye. Bye. We love you, Tom Brady.